All right, good morning. How y'all doing today? Right. Yeah, you can respond. You can say good or whatever. I mean, it's beautiful outside. You should be doing good today, right? You know, uh, something we're going to do a little bit later on is we're going to be celebrating communion. And uh, I'll tell you what, um, if you didn't get one of these, if you would mind just holding your hand up, this is how we celebrate communion. I want to make sure you get one, okay? So just hold your hand up there for just a few minutes. Not a few minutes, a few seconds, actually. And we'll make sure you have one, and we'll celebrate uh, communion later uh, in the service. Uh, boy, you know what? It's tough to follow Jesse um, with his comedy routine amidst, amidst the announcements. So um, thank you, Jesse, for, for that. But uh, uh, super excited about this new series. So glad you joined us, and especially if this is the first time. I mean, to walk in, uh, I know, to a church for the first time can be a little intimidating, and we hope that you feel a warm welcome here today. But I want to ask you, um, what do you do when you don't know the answer to a question? What do you do when you don't know the answer to a question? Let's just say you're searching for an answer to a really important question, like, as Jesse mentioned, you know, will... When will Justin Fields finally be named the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears? I know that's something we're all thinking about this morning. Or um, maybe how about this question? You know, how many calories are there actually in a Chicago-style deep dish pizza? You don't want to know the answer to that question, trust me. Uh, But what do you do? I mean, when you have a pressing question that really needs an answer, what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. You Google it, right? You pull out your smartphone. You you, you look at your browser, you enter your question in the bar, right, and, you, and away you go. Now, I thought it'd be kind of fun to check my recent search history. So my last three searches were um, Chicago Cubs best prospects for 2022. Yeah, God knows we need plenty of those. Um, second one was tasty desserts in Lincoln Park. All right. And then the third one was how many calories on a slice of thin crust pizza? <laughs> It's always about sports and food, I'm sorry. Uh, But you know, people are searching for all sorts of answers to all sorts of questions online. And uh, this series, uh, we research the types of questions that people are asking. And some questions are, are really practical questions, and we might call them hand questions because they deal with how to do things. Like, you know, how do I uh, stop a leaky faucet? Or uh, what's the optimal thermostat setting in the summer? You don't need to look that up. We all know it's 65 degrees, right? Okay. Uh, other are more heart questions because they deal with how we feel. You know, questions like, you know, how do I discover my purpose in life? Or uh, how do I become a more patient person? And finally, many questions would be considered head questions because they deal with helping us uh, gain a better understanding or knowledge on a particular topic. And so the question that we want to ask today is kind of a, I would say it's almost like a heart and head combination question. And it's one that's frequently asked online. I mean, research shows this. And the question is this, how do I deal with anxiety? How do I deal with anxiety? Now, I don't think I probably have to ask for a show of hands to know that all of us experience anxiety on some level, right? All of us experience anxiety. And there are different causes of anxiety, but there seem to be three causes that kind of stand out. And one of the leading causes of anxiety is change. Change. Yeah, and I'm not talking about the kind that you find, you know, between the cushions on your couch, okay? No, I'm talking about all the stuff like what we've experienced for the past two years, you know, due to the pandemic, maybe political upheaval, and all the, you know, catastrophes that have happened worldwide. If there's been one constant, I think, over the past year and a half, maybe 18 to 24 months, it would be change, and change causes anxiety. In fact, researchers speculate that the Western world's environment and social order have changed more in the last 30 years than they had in the previous 300 years. It's incredible. 
So yeah, change causes anxiety. Well, another major cause of anxiety is hurry. Hurry. I mean, we've become so busy. I mean, it seems like it's impossible to catch up or ever even keep up, right? I mean, the frenetic pace that so many of us keep is taking a toll. We're stressed out, we're worn down, and often fed up, and that makes us anxious. And then a third major cause of anxiety is personal challenges. Just personal challenges. I mean, it could be a relationship that maybe has just turned out to be nothing like what you thought it would be. It might be a, a financial or career challenge that has just left your future completely unknown. And then sometimes it's a physical illness or a diagnosis that suddenly has just, you know, made you feel completely overwhelmed. And so I think we all experience anxiety. None of us are immune to it. Uh, but there is kind of a, a range to, to which we experience anxiety. And it's kind of a spectrum. And on the one end of the spectrum is what we might call everyday anxiety, okay? Everyday anxiety. And, and, you know, that's when you get, like, sweaty palms, maybe, or, or muscle tightness, or question your ability to complete a task. Now, none of us enjoys this fairly common, even maybe everyday kind of anxiety, but it doesn't usually interfere with our ability to function. In fact, uh, this kind of anxiety can sometimes help us. It can actually motivate us to work towards a goal, or maybe even warn us about a potential threat. I think most of us would agree that in high school or maybe college, anxiety over a coming test was oftentimes the very nudge we needed to actually sit down and study. So this kind of anxiety can actually help us. But on the other end of the spectrum is what we'd call clinical levels of anxiety. And clinical anxiety can feel like what one author calls a meteor shower of what-ifs. A meteor shower of what-ifs. I mean, it could take away our breath, our sleep, our energy, and even our health. And I mean, this kind of anxiety can interfere with our ability to work. It can interfere with our relationships. And so, yeah, everybody experiences anxiety somewhere on this spectrum. But let me just encourage you today, man, if you feel like you might be on the clinical end of it, I want you to know there is help available. And for many people, healing will include therapy. It's going to include medication. And I just want you to know, um, as your pastor here, there is no shame in that at all. Um, I spent more time with a therapist over the last year than I ever have before, and it actually helped. It actually helped. And um, so I just want you to know you're not alone, and you are not broken if you can't pray away your anxiety. All right? Um, but as a way to encourage you to reach out for help, I just wanted to hear from my friend and, and coworker, uh, John Sosnowski, as he shares um, his journey with anxiety. Watch this. It was about two years ago that I realized for the first time that I have battled anxiety my entire life. My primary symptoms, and I think this is different for everyone, just a fear. And not of anything in particular, just, just fear. And it was almost always coupled with dread, especially in the evening. But that was all on the inside. I, I, I mean, I was afraid to, to sleep. I couldn't sleep well but externally nobody would know. I mean, even Amy didn't know. You know, eventually you just get to a point where you, you've gotta tell somebody, but I suffered silently for, for far too long. You know, one night I, I was just trembling and I, and I wasn't sleeping and I told Amy, I gotta get some help. I'm gonna reach out to my friend Dawn, who I knew uh, was, a, was, a, was a psychologist, and I'm literally like in tears and I'm just pouring out uh, how I'm feeling, how I felt this way before. And at the end, she said, John, you're, you're suffering from anxiety. 
And there are a number of things that I want to recommend for you to do long term, but in the short term, you really need to get on some medication. I had all sorts of, uh, of reasons to, to push back and say, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And I think it was an admission that I had a problem that I couldn't fix myself. And so if I took medication, that was sort of like, um, I can't fix it. I, I, I need help, but I needed help. One of the things that Dawn said, in addition to medication, would be counseling. I think through counseling, you begin to realize you're like, okay, I, I can get through this. I, I can see all of those things now that, that contributed to it. And when you can identify and articulate that, quantify it, you can actually formulate a plan to, to tackle it. I would encourage anybody to uh, have conversations. Maybe, maybe you're afraid, maybe you're scared, but uh, talk to your spouse, talk to a close friend, somebody that is gonna walk alongside you and, and see you through it. Uh, talk to your doctor, schedule an appointment to talk to a counselor. You know, we think we, we know best, but I didn't know best. And there are other people that are educated and skilled in this and, and we need to reach out to them and we need to allow them to, to bless us. Um, the way they're trained to. I just really appreciate John's honesty there, you know, and, and sharing. And again, I hope that you feel like community is a safe place where you can share if you're struggling with just about anything. Um, but no matter where you might be on, on the spectrum of anxiety, um, there's some wisdom in Scripture that I think you will find really helpful. In fact, I find it interesting that according to Amazon, who developed the Kindle Reader, and the most widely read Bible app called the YouVersion app. As a matter of fact, if you don't have the YouVersion app, I encourage you to download it. It's a great app. According to um, the YouVersion app and the Kindle Reader, the two verses that we're going to look at today are the two of the most highlighted verses in all of Scripture. And since the Bible is the, like the, the number one selling book of all time, you could arguably say that these two verses are like the most highlighted text in all of literature. So this is pretty important stuff. And I find it interesting that they actually deal with this challenge of anxiety. And there are these words from the Apostle Paul to a group of Christ followers. And he says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but first glance, you might look at that and go, oh, that's really helpful. Don't be anxious. <laughs> like it's a light switch. I can just flip on and off, right? I want to come back to that later, okay? I really will. But before we dig into this passage more fully, I do want to address how a spiritual framework like this really can be helpful, all right? See, sometimes I think we approach scriptures um, like this, you know, where we're told, do not be anxious, as if our minds are like a, you like my anxiety cup here, okay? Um, like our minds are, like a, um, are filled up with um, all sorts of anxiety that just simply needs to be emptied out, right? And filled up with something else. After all, I mean, the cup can only hold so much before it overflows, right? And I don't know, maybe you've had somebody say to you, you know, you just got to stop doubting and trust. As if you just empty that doubt out and you just fill it up with trust and suddenly all the doubt's gone. Or maybe you've had someone say something like, uh, um, you know, you really need to, to, to deal with your grief. You know, we do that with grief too, don't we? We think that somehow we can like empty ourselves of grief so that we can move on with our lives. But we're not like that. See, the mind is not like a cup we can just empty of these emotions. Instead, you know, what it's like is really more like a scale. 
It's more like a scale. And, and we believe that Scripture takes this understanding of our hearts into account. And in our humanness, see, we're going to struggle with emotions like anxiety. But what God offers us are truths and principles in Scripture as counterweights. So you see, we don't have to deny the heaviness of what we carry. We don't have to apologize for the way we feel. Instead, in the midst of those feelings and emotions, God offers us counterweights that won't make those feelings necessarily disappear, but they will provide strength and stability as we recognize that God is with us, he is good, and there is hope. So I want us to see these words from God today, you know, not as some sort of magic pill uh, that will make anxiety disappear, but instead I want us to see these words as counterweights to those anxious feelings. Does that kind of make sense? So the Apostle Paul in this passage is writing to Christ followers in a city called Philippi. And when Paul wrote uh, this letter to this group of people, he was writing from prison, okay? And if that wasn't hard enough, if you look at Paul's journeys, you'll find out that Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, spent a night in the open sea, and had gone without food, water, or sleep for extended periods of time. So Paul knew what it was like to feel anxious. And then the people that he's writing to in this city called Philippi, I mean, they were living in anxious times under Roman rule and in an era where they believed there were all sorts of gods and goddesses out there that were literally out to get you, okay? And so you just knew that something bad was about to happen at any turn, all right? So it's in that context that Paul offers these encouraging words, okay? So I want us to kind of expand on it a little bit and read a little bit more of that passage where Paul says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And again, I'm not suggesting that this passage is like, you know, the magic pill or a perfect panacea that will make your anxiety disappear. I am suggesting, however, that the wisdom found in these words can provide sort of, again, counterweights, if you will, counterweights that can help us deal with our anxiety in the same way it helped the people that Paul was writing to deal with their anxiety. So let's take a look at these counterweights, okay? I see three counterweights in this particular section. The first counterweight is celebrate, celebrate. Paul writes this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, most English translations use the word rejoice, which is you know, technically accurate, but I think a better translation would actually be the word celebrate because it brings to mind a focus on the good that is happening around us in spite of our circumstances, and so I think what Paul's saying here is, yeah, you know what? You have reason to be anxious, okay? But first, I kind of want you to throw a party, if you would, and, and I want you to celebrate all the good stuff that God is doing in and through you in spite of the tough times that you're facing. Um, just a few weeks ago, I was on a, a series of Zoom meetings over several days. You guys familiar with Zoom meetings? Anybody else? I'm the only one? Okay, I thought maybe. I was in a series of Zoom meetings. I think they were really long Zoom meetings, but they were great Zoom meetings, as great as they can be. It was over several days with some of our pastors that we work with all over the world. And every one of these pastors, I mean, from Africa to Europe to Asia to North America, I mean, they've endured incredibly challenging times over the past few years. Incredibly challenging times. 
And during these brief meetings on Zoom, I mean, they, ch- they shared, you know, challenges, anxious moments they felt over the past couple of years due to, you know, the pandemic, political unrest, even division in their own churches. But they also shared the amazing work that God continues to do in the midst of these challenging times. And so together we celebrated the good that God is doing. I mean, lives transformed, churches being started, uh, families being restored. And no, that celebration didn't make their anxiety go away. But you see, it, it sort of counterbalanced the struggles that they are facing, and it begins to make it all seem worthwhile. Um, Sean Acor, a, a psychologist who teaches at Harvard, suggests that we can train our brains to actually become more grateful by regularly ce- celebrating. We can literally train our brains to be more grateful by regularly celebrating. And he cites a study in which people were asked to take five minutes, okay, just five minutes a day to write down three things they were thankful for over the course of a week, all right? Write down three things that you're thankful for over the course of a week. And he said it didn't have to be big things, but they had to be specific and concrete, like I'm thankful for that deep dish pizza I had last night for dinner. Deep dish pizza, kind of a theme here today. Uh, or I'm, I'm grateful for the compliment that my boss gave me at work last week, right? And the participants simply expressed thanks for three specific things at the same time every day for a week. And the result, a month later, they found that the participants were happier and less depressed. And even those that stopped this practice, okay, check this out, those that stopped it later on all right, still tested out happier and less depressed. It was almost like there was a long-term effect from that season when they actually expressed gratitude and thanks. And so the researchers discovered this simple practice of writing down three thanksgivings a day primed the participants' minds to, re- to search for the good in their lives. Um, author Max Licato writes this. He says, grateful individuals demonstrate less envy, materialism, and self-centeredness. Gratitude improves self-esteem and enhances relationships, quality of sleep, and longevity. I like this. If it came in pill form, gratitude would be deemed the miracle cure. You see, the celebration that Paul has in mind when he says, rejoice in the Lord always, folks, it's like a conviction of the heart. And I think it's sort of a defiant claim against the powers of evil and despair where we declare, you know what? God is on our side and nothing, nothing that life throws our way will ever break that bond. So the first counterweight to anxiety, okay? Again, we're talking about counterweights, not something that'll just make it suddenly disappear. The first counterweight is what? Help me out. It is to, yeah, to celebrate, to celebrate. All right, the second is to ask, to ask. Ask for help. Verse 6 says, In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul says, In every situation. (laughs) Let me repeat that, okay? In every situation. It doesn't take a scholar, okay, to understand that that means there is never a situation in which God doesn't want you to ask him for help. Never. Um, Do you ever feel like... Do you ever feel like your anxiety is completely disproportionate to what's actually causing it? Do you ever kind of have that feeling like, or, or maybe like it's, it's not big enough to bother God with it? Have you ever felt that way? 
Or, or do you ever look around, this, is, this happens to me a lot, I look around and I see people dealing with way, way more difficult stuff than I'm dealing with. I'm like, they seem to be dealing with their stuff really well. Why can't I deal with my stuff like they're dealing with their stuff? You ever feel that way? It's funny, I was actually feeling that way a few weeks ago when we were on those calls with all those pastors from all over the world talking about how at times they fear for their very lives, literally physical lives, because of how they're pursuing the mission that God has for them. And so I started to feel kind of guilty about feeling the way I feel at times. And so then sometimes out of guilt, I'll just kind of decide I'm not going to ask for help. I mean, it's just, this is way, way uh, exaggerated. I, I'm not even going to do it. Do you ever do that? But you see, here, here God is saying, you know, it doesn't matter what your situation may be. You can bring your requests to me. You can ask for help because I care about what you care about. I care about what you care about. And you know, when God says to ask for help, it may mean all right, asking his people for help. And Jesse mentioned small groups. That's why small groups are so important. We all need a community of people that can encourage us and hold us accountable and, and surround us when we're going through tough or anxious-filled times. It may also mean sometimes finding a good therapist. We actually have a, a resource page on our website, communitychristian.info, where we'd love to help you find the help that you might need. So, again, how do we counterbalance this anxiety? We celebrate the, God, the good God is doing around us, right? We ask for help, and then finally, we meditate. We meditate. And Paul writes this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I can't help it. Whenever I see that, that passage of Scripture, I always think about how my mom used to use it on me when I was a kid. If I was you know, saying mean things or being disrespectful, you know, whatever is worthy, whatever is right, whatever is noble. You, I'm the only one. Okay, anyway. But I want to ask you a question, and in your mind, okay, I, I want you to actually come up with two or three answers to this question, okay? Are you ready? I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to come up with like two or three responses, answers to this question, okay? Here we go. When you're feeling anxious, how would you describe your thoughts? When you're feeling anxious, how would you describe your thoughts? Like, what are your thoughts like when you're feeling anxious? If you have some answers, give me a nod of the head if you're, you're with me on this, Okay. Would anybody be courageous enough to kind of just say out loud? Negative, all right. Erratic. Say that again. Erratic. Erratic. Anybody else? Scattered. Scattered, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Here's how I would describe my thoughts when I'm anxious. False. They're just, they're just not true. Um, discouraging. At times desperate. Uh, concerned doubtful, angry, anybody else? Now, let me ask you, does it help your anxiety when your thoughts go in that direction? Okay, I think we know no, right? Now, compare your list, though, to what God says he wants us to meditate on and reflect on when we're feeling anxious. He says to think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, Right, pure, lovely. Think about whatever is admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Let me ask you another question. Do you, do you think that maybe it might counterweight your anxiety if your thoughts were 
a little bit more along these lines? And I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying that at all. But don't you think if you could like shift your thoughts to, to meditate and reflect on those kind of thoughts, don't you think that could maybe begin to counterbalance that anxiety? I think it would. Um, author Frederick Beekner, he writes this. Let this one sink in. So true. He says, in our lives in the world, the temptation is always to go where the world takes us to drift with whatever current happens to be running strongest. When good things happen, we rise to heaven. When bad things happen, we descend to hell. We are in constant danger of being not actors in the drama of our own lives, but reactors. And I don't have to tell you, I mean, there are so many strong currents in our world, right, that can cause us to drift towards anxiety. Man, they are everywhere, and social media is jam-packed with anxiety-inducing currents, right? But the good news is this. Don't miss this, please. Maybe this is why you're here today. God has a better way. And his way may not make your anxiety disappear, but his way does provide counterweights that can tip the scales in a direction that leads us to peace. And a peace that transcends all understanding. And you see, this is a piece we can begin to experience when we celebrate, right? We're, gr we're grateful, we reflect on those things, the good that God is doing in the midst of our challenging times. When we ask, we ask for help, not only from Him, but from others. And when we meditate, when we try to focus our thoughts um, on those things that are true and noble and right and praiseworthy and excellent and admirable.